You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. In this episode, we'll be speaking about a commercial building fire that occurred in the borough of Queens that resulted in members being trapped beneath a collapsed roof. Building collapses are one of the most difficult and dangerous operations a firefighter can encounter. Lieutenant Steve Schumann, Engine 311, is here and was trapped and required an extensive rescue operation to free him. Lieutenant Fred Ill, Rescue 4, is here to give us an account of the successful rescue operation as well as lessons learned and key takeaways. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Hey, Brian, how are you? All right, great. Great to have you. I appreciate you guys taking the time to come down. First time on the podcast, we'll start with you, Lieutenant Steve Schumann. Quick bio, where you worked. How's it going, Lieutenant Steve Schumann? I got on the job in July of 08. Got assigned to Engine 233 in Brooklyn. Worked there for about seven years or so. Transferred across to Florida, Ladder 176. I got promoted to Lieutenant in January 18, and uh, I got assigned to the 13th Division in Queens. Uh, I was a covering officer. The time of the fire, I was covering a long-term spot in Engine 311. Okay, great. Fred? Lieutenant Fred Hill, appointed on February 4th, 2001, to Ladder 58 in the Bronx. I was given the opportunity to go to Rescue 1 in 2005 under Captain Morris. Was promoted out of there, covered in the 6th Division for three and a half years, and then got the opportunity to come back to SOC, covered in Rescue 4, then got assigned in about 2015-16, I think. Okay, great. And uh, I'd like to acknowledge also your father was one of us. We lost way too soon on 9-11. At the time, he was a captain of a lot of company, too. He was. Uh, proud of him and all the guys that day, but unfortunately, he was working. It's for another day, but uh, I'm proud to continue the tradition. Oh, that's great. You should be proud. Well, I appreciate you taking a minute for that. No problem. All right, well, let's get into this operation. It's about a commercial building fire. It occurred in the early morning hours, which is a bad time responding to a commercial building fire. Not that there's ever a good time to be respond to one of them. This department has suffered some tragic losses in these type of buildings. Steve, tell us when your unit was assigned, what you saw, and what were your initial operations at this fire. So again, I was working on Engine 311. We got assigned first on the second. We pulled up. We had a, a one-story taxpayer. It was actually kind of hard to even see the building walking up. There was heavy smoke to the street. It took me a second to find the chief. We checked in and uh, ordered us to back up engine 275. It was one of at least two lines operating inside the building at the time. We backed them up for maybe 20 seconds or so, and the chief grabbed me and requested a stretch a line around the rear due to numerous reports of heavy fire at the rear. We went around the number two side, a driveway heading to the rear, and we had an engine with only one line coming off it. So I had my members stretch a two and a half while I checked out the rear. As soon as I got around the rear, you could see it was a one-story setback basically off the rear of the taxpayer with heavy fire at the rear. So we knew exactly where we were going to operate. While waiting for water, we started masking up. During this time, firefighter from Squad 270, Darren Harsh, checked in with me and gave me some size-up information and some uh, potential extension to the, the store to the right, number four. We had to mask up pretty far back due to the, the fire at the rear. We pretty much knew we were going to hit it from the outside for a couple seconds, but masking up that early, I believe, allowed me to mask up properly and get all my PPE on basically perfectly the way it the way it should be. So I think this actually benefited me greatly in the long run. So once we got water, we hit the fire from the rear. It was blown out the rear door and pretty well. And that was gonna be your entry? That was our entry, yeah. The windows, you couldn't tell at the time, in the dark and the, with the fire, but 
just looking at pictures afterwards, the windows were blocked up. So, yeah, that was the only opening into the, into the rear of the building. So after we knocked the fire down, we moved up to the doorway. I gave my report to the chief that we had the main body of fire and the rear knocked down. And I also tried to relay to him that we were about to move in to the rear of the store. I had to give that report twice because the second half of it was unreadable. I realized afterwards because I was walking and trying to transmit, yeah. you know, with my face piece on. on. Sure. The reason I really wanted to tell him that we were going to move in was because I knew we had lines around the front and I wasn't completely confident yet that they were backed out yet. I knew he was coordinating that, but I just wanted to let him know. So we get to the rear door. I had my nozzle firefighter keep the line open, keep cooling off the ceiling. And I tried to look in and basically get a size up of the conditions in there. But smoke was banked down pretty well. You couldn't see anything. So we moved in a few feet so I could operate the camera. Heat level wasn't high. We were standing up. You could tell the room was hot, obviously, through the amount of fire that was just in there and, and through the camera looking at hot spots. So basically, I just had my nozzle firefighter to keep the line open, keep cooling off the ceiling. There was nothing in the room as far as furniture, stock, anything like that. Almost like a vacant store. I kind of figured it was like a rear storage area for whatever store was in the front. Mm -hmm. And if there was anything in there, probably just burnt away. So anyway, there was a couple columns, as all you can see, it was a column right in front of us. Pick that up with your camera. Yeah, it was bright red from the heat. So I told my nozzle firefighter to keep the line open, keep the ceiling cool, and, and to keep hitting that, the column as well to, to, to cool it off. At this point, we're maybe five, 10 feet in the building. This is maybe 30 seconds from when I gave my transmission that we had the main body fire knocked down, and this is when the collapse itself started. That's very quick. You're very only quick. in there for 30 some odd seconds. Maybe so. 30 seconds, yeah, right. if that. From my transmission that we had water on the fire to the transmission of the first mayday was less than a minute, I believe. So you started getting some indications potentially that there's... So while we are operating, I, I started feeling a couple little pieces of the ceiling come down and hit my, hit my helmet. It didn't seem like anything out of the ordinary. You know, any job you're, you're operating, uh, you know, you get stuff coming down on you. But basically, again, this is all very, very quick. I heard somebody yell something from the outside. At the same time, I started feeling heavier sections of the ceiling coming down. So I, I told my members, we got to get out of here quick. We got to back out. They started backing out, started feeling even bigger sections coming down. I had a big section start coming down on me. So I tried to just give my nozzle firefighter one last push as hard as I could as I was getting pushed down. And then that was it. Hey, they made it, they made it. Clash in the rear. Clash in the rear. All right, we got two, five, one. Command. All right. Urgent, urgent, urgent. Command to all units. We're going to back out. Back out of all three buildings. When you say that was it, was there a sudden collapse at that point? Yeah, so the ceiling kind of came down, I don't want to say slowly, yeah, because it wasn't yeah, time yeah. to react by any means, <laughs> right. but it kind of pushed me down to the ground. It's almost like somebody had a big section of roof and just kind of pushed it down on me and it just kind of slowly pushed me in the ground. I say slowly, but it, it really was, it was within a fraction of a second I was on the ground. And the whole sequence from a couple little pieces hitting my helmet to that big section pushing me down was, you know, maybe a second or two. It was sudden. Then. It was definitely sudden, but again, it was, <laughs> I guess the pushing the down part was yeah. slow enough, you know, that I knew yeah. it was going on. Initially when the, the section of the roof pushed me down to the ground, my knees 
were basically at my chest. I was basically like a crouch position on the mm. ground with the roof on my back. I was able to kind of push my legs out from underneath me, just knowing that that weight in the crouch position, I knew I had no, no chance of, uh, you know, I was going to suffocate. So I was able to push my legs out from underneath me, and that got me in a, basically a laying down on my right side with my right arm underneath me, my right elbow underneath my body, and the roof resting on my left shoulder. And initially, I was able to move my left arm. Your top arm? Yes, my top arm. My right arm was, was out of play. That was completely crushed underneath me. I couldn't move it at all. And my left arm, I could move, you know, not a lot, but I was able to move enough, uh, which was pretty critical because my purge valve got knocked open. So I was able to shut my purge valve. At that point, I was trying to give my mayday, and there was a mayday transmission going on from the outside for the collapse, and I guess the back and forth between the mayday, the command post, you know, all great transmissions. Within a couple seconds, I'm trying to get my mayday, and I, and I thought to myself, all right, hit your EAB. I was able to hit my EAB, no problem. I gave my mayday. The beginning of it was picked up, and I think it was cut off. Yeah, so I gave the mayday, I got my EAB, which was critical, the EFAS picked up on it very, very quickly. And uh, the EFAS firefighter did a great job. 250 EFAS to command, 311 officer. 311 officer with the mayday. I cleared that up right away. Yep, you confirmed with the chief actually twice to make sure he knew it was me. For people who uh, aren't on our job, the EFAS member is a, a firefighter initially assigned to monitor the electronic fire ground accountability system. So when a radio gives a mayday transmission, it'll show up. That EFAS firefighter will notify the incident commander who transmitted the mayday, which is how it's supposed to happen, and it's exactly how it did happen in this operation. The transmission of the EAB definitely, as it was vital to, uh, yeah. to, to my survival, so they knew who they were looking for. Now you're on your side. You're able to give that radio transmission. What's on top of you? How big of a section of this roof collapsed? You know? I found out afterwards it was about a 12 by 20 section, oh, a big section. of roof. After talking to other firefighters that checked out the scene afterwards, they said it kind of seemed like the, the columns went through the roof, basically. The roof came down flat and kind of rode the columns straight down. I guess burnt through the supports at the top and uh, the joists and, and yeah, yeah. collapsed straight down. Was it roof joists and burning roofing boards that were on top of you, or is it roof boards? I'm just curious. As far as I know, it was, it was mostly roof boards on top of me. Uh, I gave it one good push to try to, as hard as I could to push up on it, and uh, it wouldn't budge. It was also, it was burning on my shoulder, so uh, pushing just against the burns and the, and the weight, I gave it one shot, and uh, there was no reason to keep trying to fight it. And uh, You had air? Yeah, conserved my you air and energy. You hadn't been on air long at that point, right? No, we were on air for, again, maybe, maybe two minutes total to the point the collapse happened. So, again, once I closed my purge valve, that was a huge help to me that I had a full cylinder, yeah. very close to a full cylinder. I was very lucky that my face piece wasn't dislodged, that I was able to have that free arm. Because after I fixed my purge valve, gave my mayday, I gave one more transmission, maybe a couple minutes later, that, that I was burning. And they did, you know, they opened a line at, at some point during the outrest They operation. did, yeah. So I lost control of my arm very shortly after. I just, the roof, I guess, settling. So I had no more upper body. I couldn't move anything. But at some point, I felt the whole area kind of heating up. I could feel the parts of my body that were in contact. All my burns were where I was in contact with something, the roof, the ground, whatever I was on top of. Obviously, I felt those burns slowly increasing in intensity. But the area around me also started getting very, very hot. And I had to get a lot of credit to my backup and control firefighters because they pulled the section of roof that had 
also pinned my nozzle firefighter. He ended up in the doorway, and uh, so they were able to pick up a section roof off of him, get him out of the way so he can get help because he got injured as well. And they regained control of the line and kind of split-second thinking, and they opened the line up for maybe a couple seconds, and then I just, thank God. You know, yeah, cause it, yeah. It, it would have been great if you could communicate with them, right? Yeah, it would have been, Do yeah. that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they opened it long enough, so it, it kept the area from lighting up uh, around me, but it was still hot, obviously, you know, the steam and everything. They didn't want to keep it open too long because they didn't know what position I was in, what the conditions were around me, so they didn't want the water to pull up and drown me. So they, they did a great job jumping to action before they ended up getting relieved later on. Well, there we are. I mean, that's a terrifying story, <laughs> perfectly <laughs> honest. So now here you are, you're trapped. I mean, there are some good things and some bad things, right? It, it was bad that there was no stock because now you have mm -hmm. a large section of flat roof that's down. Yep. And that's another consideration for the rescue operation, right? We know we're going to throw a lot of bodies at that to get you, and I'm sure you knew that. Yeah. But it's just another hazard you have to weigh out, and Fred, we're going to get into that with you. Now to your perspective. As we stated, there was a one-story taxpayer, three stores in the front, looked like a normal taxpayer. Turned out that it was chopped up into five occupancies. We walked up, conversed with Chief Paolicelli. He was informing me that he was pulling engine 304's line out of the building, which was the first line, main fire store. And I believe he said that he was having another line come in from the rear. It was apparent that there was a lot of fire in the rear. Right, they were getting reports. The fourth line was going to the rear. All right, so they were coordinating that at the time. So he asked us to help account for 304 to come out of the building. We got to the door. We accounted for the engine officer, the nozzle, the backup controls out front. And I tucked into the store and used the thermal imaging camera, and I could see this white-hot door straight ahead. And it appeared that the door was intact, and there was good heat in the ceiling. So my thoughts was I, I can get them back in and get to that door. So I had just walked through the threshold to the sidewalk, and engine 251's boss gave a mayday for a collapse in the rear. From the front, there was no indication that something had dropped. Now you're getting the maydays. 251's the first given mayday. They were out back. They were able to see it. Is that what happened? I believe that was the officer trying to notify Lieutenant Schumann to start backing out. This isn't okay. looking good. And this is all happening in seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Sure. There was no indication that that was the store that I just exited was the collapse. So right. my cam, Al Sweet, had gone into the middle store to find 301's line, being that was the only line in the store operating. I quickly went in with him. We went through a drop-down ceiling. We both said, like, verbally, this is it. <laughs> this is the collapse. I found 301's officer, told him to shut the line down. We heard a mayday from Squad 270 Irons. Darren Harsh gave a flawless mayday. Yeah, it was a good one. Confirmed missing member. Pass alarm going off. I need saws to the rear. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Squad Irons to the mayday. Squad Irons, good. We have a confirmed missing member. I have a pass alarm going off. I'm going to need swords to the rear of the fire building because the whole roof came down. So we're trying to get to the rear from the front, two-prong attack, and we get a dead-end wall yeah. in the middle of the store. It didn't go to the rear because of how it was chopped yeah, up. Yeah. Very frustrating to leave that spot, but we exited fast. My irons and hook made their way to the rear. My chauffeur, Al Francis, ran to the rig, grabbed sawzalls, and passed them to our irons firefighter who ran them to the rear door. And then my chauffeur moved the rig closer to the scene, saying to himself that they're going to need a lot more than just sawzalls. It was a heads-up move. So everyone's thinking out of the box, what, what else could we do? Myself and my cam, we get to the rear, and we meet up with a bunch of guys from Squad 270, and my roof firefighter, Danny Hickey, and Rod Ford, and Chief Moore, rescue ops deputy, had responded, and he's at the door like a bouncer. 
controlling the access. Prior to that, I know Engine 311's members, they were concussed, their helmets were off, knocked off, one helmet was turned around when they pulled this member out, and they did a quick interview, who are you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and he was able to say, I'm 311's nozzle, my boss is still in there. And then they collectively all pulled the line out from underneath this collapsed section of roof, this two and a half, and I believe they operated like we talked about that's for line, a, yeah. that's a, a good little move bit. On that part for sure. And they wanted in. They wanted, uh, from what my members told me, they wanted to dive back in there and find him. Well, this is the hard part. Uh, and we, we collectively yeah. said, we're going to get him. They were very motivated to be involved. So everyone kind of sporadically did a quick search. They were searching initially in the collapse. Uh, Darren Harsh, Dan Hickey, Paul Jennings from 270 had grabbed two and a half and made his way into the collapse area with the hose line knocked down some spot fires that were burning in the periphery, mm -hmm. and then tucked himself in the corner to give himself like a, a natural backup firefighter. And the two members start searching. They hear a pass along muffled, and this roof collapsed to the floor, which was very, very that's, yeah, strange. That's a, that's every member I talked to that was back there, every time they walked through the threshold, they're looking for a roof going up yeah, on a V-shape. Shelving, desks, whatever. There's, there's something that's going to prevent that that roof from laying flat. Correct. And which didn't exist in this fire, it, correct? It didn't either. It, it did exist and it burned away or it just wasn't there. It was almost like a heavy carpet enveloped this whole 12, 15 by 20 area and a small hump like shape yeah. was about five, six feet in, which turned out firefighter Jennings, when he pulled the line out with 311's members, he heard the pass alarm more under the roof. He put his face piece down did he get a look at it? Was he able to see? He that couldn't way? see, yeah, yeah. but he could hear it. It was coming from under the roof. Mm -hmm. Firefighter Harsh initially said they had a roof saw, correct, which he nixed right away. Which that's the last thing you want to hear. <laughs> uh, I heard it. I heard a couple cuts, and I, I thought to myself, "All right, I survived the collapse, and then now uh, I'm about to get a roof saw through my face." But they were smart. They were very smart about it. He, yeah. He, he said he just basically scored the roof. Right. He didn't even. Uh, he cut was attempting to make almost like an inspection cut. Right. Score right. and score, score, yeah. and make a little triangle to see if they can get their hand in. And he aborted that quickly. He did not feel comfortable. And as they he, moved as to the saws all, is that, is that correct? The reason, that was the only saw that came in initially. Yeah. So he was trying to use what he had mm -hmm. in his hands. I think the first sawzall came in from Squad 270 chauffeur, Richie Perdilli, and they went to work. They cut plunge cutting into a roof now knowing a member's under it, very, very challenging operation itself. I think they made about two triangles or some sort of shapes and were able to remove them and reach under and grabbed turnout gear. Do you remember this, Steve? I could hear them around me, which, which helped kind of try to tell myself to, to stay calm. But your pain, your arms are immobile at this point. Yeah, so my arms are immobile. My legs weren't. My legs, I was able to kick freely and in my head, I thought the section pinning me down was only from my waist up. I'm like, ah, oh, my legs are free. Why can't they see him? I'm kicking them, you know? part they grabbed the first was my legs. Then they had a location. They, they were starting to orientate themselves to which way the body. Right. So they made about four cuts in a rectangular fashion. And this is all rapid. As, as careful as they were being, it was fast. The, the roof is mainly sheathing and, and plywood. It was a little shocking that we weren't cutting through two by sixes. Yeah, yeah. Or, or tongue and root boards. Okay, so now he was able to make a cut. They located his leg. They were able to orientate how he was laying, correct? Yes, members kind of spread themselves out like on an operating table and stayed in their spot. They didn't move back and forth. 
they passed tools back and forth like surgeons, and they were using the Sawzall first. Our chauffeur brought our uh, Genesis 11C, which is a extrication combi tool spreader cutter, very tiny, small, we use for collapses and other emergencies. And that tool was able to be inserted and gained lift yeah, of the like roof. Like if you grab a joist, you could have lifted it. We could have lifted it off them. That was the thought. All that they were really pushing was the roofing material, but it gained distance that they could plunge the, the sawzall blade deeper. Instead of scoring, they could plunge it deeper. They could see his profile, so they moved about six inches away from him and then cut fast. And then they would cut across, almost like cutting a roof or a trench, making smaller cross cuts mm -hmm. to make the material easier to remove. The third or fourth flap of roof that was removed exposed uh, Lieutenant Schumann's mask. His UAC was right in front of me. His tick was on. His UAC is his universal air connection built into all our masks. We have a fast pack. When a member's trapped, we could equalize their air pressure by just attaching to the UAC. Correct. That's the high pressure connection. I think 60 seconds, if you plug that in, the uh, cylinders equalize. So the UAC, the radio, and his camera is on screen facing up, all indicating that it's an officer. From EFAS saying it was 311's officer when we first started this operation to now we've uncovered a tool that mainly just an officer carries other than the members of SOC. And so we were pretty confident that we had the officer. We called for the fast pack. Firefighter Hickey was right to my left. He started preparing it, but we didn't know if his face piece was on. So if we connected that and his face piece was dislodged or cracked. We would have lost both cylinders yeah. instantaneously. So we held off. Darren Harsh kept saying he just went on air. They just went on air. So we held off on that. Members kept cutting and exposed his face piece now. Firefighter Sweet reached in and peeled it back. It expelled air. And I believe he turned his purge halfway to give him air. He verbally said he's conscious and he's got on air. He's breathing, which was a, a really good moment in this operation. They freed him up. They cut. Now his helmet's free. It's still on. And Steve sits up. Like, he wants out. Yeah. And he told me that. He wanted out. I don't blame him. And we pushed him right back down because the, the conditions were not too serious. Fires were put out. But he was a trauma now. And we brought the Stokes in. We kept spinal immobilization as best we could. We kind of rolled the Stokes under him versus moving him. It's tough with a mask. We talked about taking the mask off him. But at this point, we wanted to just get him out to EMS in the rear. So... We just kind of rolled him forward a little bit, stuck the stokes under him, and then rolled him back and put him in the same position he was in for the most part, which was, I think, right, right lateral recumbent for all you CFR sure. buffs. <laughs> and then out he went. They strapped him up quick, and then we carried him up and over the collapsed area and out to the rear yard, and medics were waiting for him. Five order command. Command. They removed the members on the stokes near the waist. Removed from the building on the stokes. Getting handed off the EMS now. Uh, it's a great operation, I tell you. The exposure three wall wasn't in great condition, right? Uh, any collapse operation and subsequent rescue, we always worry about a secondary collapse. And I see from the videos that back wall was in poor shape. So as you guys definitely put yourself out there. Why don't we talk real quick about some lessons learned? I'm sure your unit, you drilled on this over and over and gained so much experience from operating at something like this. Or if there's anything you do differently, because I know every fire I go to, there's usually something I do different. In our key takeaways, myself, communication, I wish I made some transmissions to him immediately. Like, we're coming. We've had conversations. He knew we were above him. He knew, listening to the radio, he heard, like, the rescue and squad were assigned. The fast truck was moved to the rear. Like, 
Chief Palacelli put all the pieces in motion to make this a, a successful outcome. I just wish I got on personally. 311's officer, you know, click your mic as many times as you can if you are on air. Click your EAB if your face piece is on. Because if I had done that, we would have connected them. So yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to know. I mean, we held off on connecting, which is good, and then we went, may have went the low-pressure side, right regulator from the fast pack to the face piece right. if we needed to, if he was pinned by more substantial material. But I, personally, I wish I tried to give him some reassurance that we're coming, we're making progress, and to request you know a second rescue, a second squad in case this wasn't going to go well. How about the tools? Any tools stand out that you'd, uh, you'd try to put to use sooner? I had called for the Genesis tool. I called for airbags thinking we were going to be able to put it under the roof section, which was futile. It was so pinned to the floor that it just wasn't the case. If there was furniture or desks or stuff that kept the roof up, yeah, this yeah. might have been a completely different operation. Sure. How about you? I mean, it's hard to say what you do different, right? Building collapse, you know, just the nature of it. Because just before that, it was just another job you were going to. Right? Yeah. We go in and out of these burning buildings all the time, and that's the, the frightening aspect of, of uh, building collapse. But if there was anything, any takeaway that you think would be helpful, pass along. Just looking back, Monday morning quarterback, you know, I, I wish I had yeah. stayed outside another 10 <laughs> seconds. You know, we, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. My biggest takeaways, it all comes down to drilling, really. I mean, you know, a lot of times we, we practice giving maydays for finding a downed firefighter. You do obviously drill and practice on giving a mayday for yourself as well. You just don't ever expect to have to do it. So hitting my EAB was critical to my survival. And I would say the biggest thing is just staying calm. Maybe that's easy to say when you know you're 10 feet in and, you know, guys just watch the roof collapse on you. You know, not that you you know you're going to make it out. There's much worse case. Now you Middle look at the building collapse, you're in a cellar or something exactly, like that. Exactly. Yeah. Look yeah. at past jobs, you know. Yeah. So knowing that, you know, like Lieutenant Hill just, just mentioned, communicating, don't beat yourself up. You guys did an amazing job, and, and I couldn't click my mic anyway at that point, so it wouldn't have mattered. But, well, across the uh, board, I think it's pretty obvious, right from incident command, right on down. Everything yeah. went really well with this operation. Yeah. Just uh, going back to the EFAS, you know, I had his radio right in front of me. I could have just taken that and just clicked it oh, yeah. 10 yeah. times yeah. or hit it, the button on the, on the main part of the radio. Right. Rescue to EFAS. Who am I clicking right now? In the click, future, click, 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 if you were, again, like say you had something like yeah. that and you we didn't know who we were, you know, that would be a good way to do that it. That would have just confirmed everything. Your injuries are pretty bad. I mean, they're very serious. One term I heard for the first time was fourth degree burn. If you're comfortable, you talk about maybe your road to recovery. I know you want to get back. Yeah, the road recovery uh, is it, long. You know, when, when you're down there, it, when you're pinned and you're, uh, you know, the adrenaline's kicking and, you know, you're like, oh, I'll be back to work next week, you know? And you're thinking to yourself, you know, you're like, oh, I'll be out quick because you hear people around you and then 10 minutes later, you're still down there and you're like, all right, you know, am I going to make it out? Am I going to see my kids again? Am I going to see my family? You know, and at that point, getting back to work is kind of on the back burner. But fast forward to the road to recovery, I have some pretty extensive injuries, but I was pretty lucky in that I didn't have broken bones. My ribs were being crushed the entire time to a point I really couldn't breathe and somehow I don't even have a, a bruised rib. Uh, my back was was pretty bad for a little bit. It's it's actually feeling all right now. The burns are another story. Burns are kind of crazy. You look at the pictures from, from that day of my burns and, and they didn't look that bad, but burns progress. They all ended up at least third degree, requiring skin grafts. Like you said, fourth degree basically means it was down to the bone, that was my elbow. They did some, some crazy surgeries. Both of my arms obviously got crushed. Uh, only one of them required emergency surgery. It just takes very, very long time. At this point, we're seven and a half months out from the job, and I'm still very much in the recovery 
stage or the healing stage, I should say. Again, like they say with burns, it's like two steps forward, one step backwards. You know, you think you're done and it just, it's just slow. It's all it is, it's slow. You know, it's frustrating is we're not slow people, you know, we're, we're impatient and uh, aggressive. And, uh, but again, I get to see my kids every day, you know, I get to go home. Not complaining by any means. I'm very lucky. So it's a long road, but uh, I'm looking forward to the finish line eventually. All right. Well, I'm certainly pulling for you. And uh, Fred, you members of SOC go over and above training for firefighter removal. We all train for firefighter removal, but uh, it showed. You had a coordinated operation that was uh, really successful. Thank you. I heard a little bit about this job. I had no idea the circumstances. That's sometimes our job is so big. And that's why I, you know, I love uh, what we do a good job at now, I think. The operations team who made this diamond plate LMS video, which is out now. You can see it in the firehouse. That's for our internal members. The videos they put together are terrific. They finished your part. I think they're going to do a piece on the incident command. No one knows about this fire because he wore all his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, PP, that's huge. Time Rescue 4, 270 did a great job that night. All the SOC companies would have done the same thing. Yeah. But because his gear was on, his yeah. face piece was on, he had air. Face piece was on well, right? I did everything time. What you're supposed to. Again, that, uh, having that time in the beginning, I think. Uh, time, right? Yeah, yeah, you should always make that time. And once the ball's rolling, you can't catch up, you know, especially as the officer. The, the, the members are moving, you're not catching up if you're not yeah. doing everything on properly. So. All right, well, listen, this has been great and a lot to learn from. So thanks for coming yeah. out, guys. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. For more training and information from our subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.